<laughs> the reviews are in, and we're going to tell you what they are. He's Todd Vandenberg. I'm Rob Steele, and we've got a lot of stuff to get through. He says, looking at the list of movies Todd has to do, as opposed to the one I've done this week. <clears throat> <laughs> Slacker. There's also... The, the news this week is kind of weird, and there's some stuff I do not understand, so let's get that out of the way, because this first story I don't get in the slightest... And it has to do with Chuck E. Cheese. Yes, I am referring to the Kitty Pizzeria. Uh, now, your local Chuck E. Cheese has either gotten rid of or is in the process of getting rid of all the animatronics they have in their, and I'm putting this in air quotes, restaurants. Um, so, you know, Chuck E. Cheese is not going to be there anymore. Up on the stage doing the band thing or whatever it was he did. And, you know, I don't have a list of all the ones that have gotten rid of all the stuff already. So check your local affiliate. Anyway, now that they've gotten rid of all that, they're going to make a cartoon series and a movie using the characters they just got rid of. (laughs) As near as I can tell, this is one of those because it's 2020 and it doesn't need to make sense things. Does this even remotely come close to making sense to you? No, that makes zero sense to me. That's, uh, <clears throat> okay, so I guess they'll still keep the game, so it will be like a six-year-old, yeah, their it's version of, of a Dave and Buster's, uh, but I guess, I guess they'll still have the games and stuff to play, but that's an odd choice. I wonder if they're actually going to get pizza in their restaurants now. That would be another big change they could do. But- That would be impressive as opposed to – I actually don't object to frozen (laughs) pizza you get from, you know, the grocery store. I don't mind that. Right. I don't know what the hell Chuck E. Cheese made because it looked like the frozen pizza you would get at Walmart for 59 cents a pop. But it actually did taste like the cardboard box that it came in. I don't know. (laughs) But that's just the first of two stories I don't get this week. The other one – that I absolutely do not understand. Uh, technically, I suppose technically it's not movie news, but it, it, it involves a guy who at least used to be an actor, although I'm told he came back and did something recently. Rick Moranis uh, was in New York uh, walking around in the Upper West Side going from point A to point B. I don't know what either of those are, but he's doing his thing. And someone ran by and punched the crap out of him. He's doing fine, I understand. But what the hell? Yeah, I don't understand what the point of that would be. You look like Gozer. <clears throat> no, that's... It's Rick, it's Rick Moranis. Why, why would you... Yeah. Don't get it. Don't understand why. Here's, I can tell he's always been a nice guy. Uh, yep. And if so, you want to come on the show, just let us know. Contact us through the website, cinemasavants.com. Um, I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it at all. Um, some things I did get this week, like uh, the new Bond movie, No Time to Die, which has an absolutely horrible music video, <laughs> uh, was pushed back to next year because COVID. Hello. So apparently today is not a good day to do it. Today is not a good day to die. And Worf would be disappointed if he existed. But. Uh, yeah, that made sense. I get that. Um, 
let's see, I guess we have a bit of casting news in that the Disney Plus series for Miss Marvel has finally cast Miss Marvel. Except I have no idea who this person is. Uh, her name is Iman Valani. And I am absolutely unfamiliar with her. But I've seen a picture and she looks like the character. I guess that'll have to do. Yes, I didn't really find much info. That was the news, by the way, that I couldn't think of in pre-pro. Hi, Ted. Um, yeah, so I couldn't really find any credits for her either, which is kind of unusual. But considering Disney's history with casting, I'm pretty sure this is exactly the right. She might actually be Ms. Marvel. So, yeah. That'd be impressive. Um, pretty cool that that is cast, and we will be moving forward with that eventually. Oh, let's see. Something else that goes along with Marvel. Spider-Man 3 villain announced. Kinda. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, they're, they're bringing back Electro, and it's also going to be Jamie Foxx, who already played Electro in Spider-Man 2. Hmm. Uh, but he tweeted, I guess it was Friday night, he said, yes, I am going to be Electro, but I'm not going to be blue this time. That's one big change, which is good. Uh yeah, I saw that, and I am hope I was hopeful of two things. First, he wouldn't be blue. Second, that he's not the main villain; that it's part of the Sinister Six. That would um, be nice. Yeah, because I mean, they did kind of set it up at the end of uh, what was it, Homecoming? Yeah. So, man, I really like Jamie Fox. The, their take on the character was atrocious, uh, <laughs> to say the least. So I'm glad that they're bringing him back. Just the fact that he's not going to be blue is a really good hint towards their rewriting the character, which they desperately needed to do because why well, get Jamie Foxx if you're going to do that? I could have played Electro in that film. It's so poorly written. So so <clears throat> I don't want to see the same character uh, story redone, but as part of the story, totally on board. I think that's very cool. And it's almost like it's it's kind of like fan service for, oh, let's get the real Electro. And, oh, by the way, let's let's let this actor who is excellent actually act. That would be a good idea. So what a concept. <clears throat> yeah. Even if he is the main villain, I think that's kind of a waste of time. But at least to reboot him as part of the story, I think that would be terrific. Let's see. Other news that you're going to go. This is Marvel. And I'll say, yes, yes, it is. Netflix. <laughs> is planning a live-action Conan the Barbarian series. Which I think sounds like a good idea. I think it could be fun. Um, and how does this tie into Marvel? Because Marvel owns the rights to Conan the Barbarian. Yes. And did you know, and this ties into the books, and this is really weird, uh, they're currently doing a time travel thing with the Avengers, and Conan is an Avenger. Right. That's what that's, I was say. that's weird. Yeah. Avengers, what is it? Avengers 1 million? 1 million? It's not uh, 1 million, Savage Avengers, I think. That's, yeah. There you go. Which, so, I think that's a cool storyline. So, who knows? They may even eventually tie into that. Eventually, by meaning like 10 years down the road or something. But After their deal with Netflix falls through. <laughs> yeah. I, could, I think a Conan series could be pretty good assuming they will do it correctly which again it's marvel so odds are 
I want to say they well. already had, there was a Conan series at one point, but it did not do well. It's like Antonio Banderas or something. Not Antonio Banderas. Who am I thinking of? Antonio Banderas is, as Conan would not be quite right. No, the, the guy who did uh, Renegade, he was another Antonio. No. Oh, it'll hit me later. No clue. Hopefully not like Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis as Conan. Yeah, that would Oh work. my God, please, yes. Actually, speaking, speaking of the comic book stuff, uh, did want to point out that the Batman the Animated Series books that DC is doing are still going. And just for fun, there's going to be a Nightwing spinoff. Except it's not. It's actually just a comic book version of the show's Nightwing has already been in. I was disappointed by this. Hmm. I, I would love to see Nightwing have gotten a, a, a spinoff series. Yeah. Um, There's a very interesting take on the character. And you know what? While we're doing animated stuff, I'm going to get my review out of the way because okay. it's an animated thing. And it goes with, I mean, we've got three great, because you'd mentioned at least two of the directors you're doing. Yes. Who are great directors. So is mine. I'm going back to a Hayao Miyazaki movie because we haven't Woo! mentioned it a couple of shows. Oh, my God. Yeah. What's going on with us? Um, went back and watched Porco Rosso this week, which is not not one of the big popular ones, I don't think. Right. But it's still, it's really good. Uh, if you don't know the story, it's about a uh, a seaplane sea fighter pilot shortly at, uh, it is after World War One, but before World War Two, right? Because I didn't quite get that storyline or the time period from that area. Um, the character was originally named Marco Rossellini, but somehow before the movie started, he was cursed and turned into a pig. So he is. So when pigs fly, hey, have you seen this movie? I'm sure that had to be a joke in it somewhere when they were creating it. But why was he cursed? We actually don't ever get an answer to that. We get hints. We never get an answer. Uh, anyway, he makes makes money uh, flying, fighting seaplanes, and going after seaplane pirates. So uh, it's not exactly historical fact. Well, he's a flying pig for starters, so don't expect that. But it is uh, a lot of aeronautic, uh, fun fighter plane stuff. So you know, Star Wars, only with seaplanes, which is cool. And you've got uh, and some interesting characters. You get Theo, who is a young engineer, who's a girl, not a boy, like, you know, Theo in the Cosby show. Very different character. I don't think he would fit in this one very well. Uh, Porco has a love interest named Gina who knew him when he was Marco, but she runs a bar for seaplane pirates and occasionally spies for assorted governments and stuff. So there's a lot of intrigue going on in this. There's a lot of character development that goes along with this. There's a guy who's not necessarily a bad guy, the American who comes in because all of this is set in the Adriatic. Uh, Donald Curtis, he's hired by the pirates to get Porco Rosso, who keeps taking out the pirates, and he ends up being almost a good guy, even though he's a pain in the ass most of the movie. This is actually a very fun film, but the reason I watched it again is because I remembered there was a lot of 
the feminist movement, I guess, going on in this movie, because all of the men have gone off to fight wars, leaving the women at home. And you know what? They're doing better than the men did when they were there. Uh, Porco loses his plane at one point. That's not a spoiler. You can kind of see it coming. It gets put together by women. And holy cow, it's a lot better than it was than when he lost it the first time. So there's a a, a sense of the, the feminist movement in this. I don't know if it's supposed to be as intense as it does get. But you know what? That's, that's a good thing. And I think we need more of that. Uh, because it's not necessarily hammered into you as... This is a plot point. You will remember it. It's just there. And if it's just there, it sticks better. Because if it gets hammered into you, you go, that hurts. Don't hit me with that anymore. And then you get upset with it. At least I do. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But Porco Rosso came out a long time ago. It's available, uh, you know, DVD, Blu-ray. I think it's on, is it HBO Max that got all the Miyazaki movies? I think. Uh, I think so, yes. So, yeah, Porco Rosso, great movie, incredible director. Hayao Miyazaki never did anything that you would go, oh, that was a horrible movie. Everything he did was awesome. So, yeah, highly recommend that. Because Miyazaki is one of the best directors uh, ever, as far as we're concerned, I think. Agreed. Absolutely. And, and we're not talking about just animated movies, just directors of anything period yeah and i'm glad you mentioned porco rosso because that's one like you said not not many people know about that one i mean we know about the, the big super popular ones but <clears throat> okay spirited away yeah but very cool movie and he likes he likes flight a lot because it's not the only movie he's done about a pilot or about yeah that focuses on planes so awesome awesome flick i have have a couple movies that <clears throat> probably aren't quite as hopeful and, and lovely about that because although I do have one that is since it's October I thought eh, let's go back to horror movies especially since I like horror movies quite a bit more than Rob does because Rob is, is, is normal and so <laughs> I'm at a couple movies from a gentleman who has done a lot of horror films Guillermo del Toro uh, some people may not realize exactly how many horror films he's done but of his group mm, let's see started off with chronos which is a horror movie next was mimic a horror movie it's a horror movie the devil's backbone horror movie blade 2 you could kind of put it in a horror movie horror-esque horror-esque hellboy definitely horror-esque pan's labyrinth horror-esque hellboy 2 horror i mean just yeah he's pretty much a horror there movie seems director. to be a pattern it does seem to be one. I am going to be talking about <clears throat> one of his lesser known films as far as just popular stuff uh, is The Devil's Backbone. One of the reasons it's not as well known is because it's more of a small art film type of thing. The other thing is that it came out at the Toronto Film Festival September 10th, 2001. The next day, bad things happened. And pretty much everyone forgot anything else was going on. So, uh, which is not his like excuse for why it wasn't commercially successful. The main thing he said is he didn't expect it to be commercially successful. And then everything got kind of pushed to the side from that anyway. So this is set 
I like another one of his popular films, which I'll also be talking about. This is set actually during <clears throat> the Spanish Civil War. And it focuses on a young boy who is taken to an orphanage and left there by his father. And it's like, wait a minute, why would his father take, take his son to an orphanage? That's kind of a, what kind of a prick is this father? Well, dad's going off to fight in the war and dad doesn't have any place to leave his son because mom's dead. So he takes him to this orphanage. Uh, unfortunately, without telling him, he's going to be leaving him. So, ooh, sadness. Uh, the orphanage is not particularly a terrible place. It's not where the kind of place where a lot of times orphanages and movies, oh, they're awful people and their kids are being abused and stuff. It's like, well, kind of, but it's not systemic. It's being run by a priest <clears throat> and a woman who is like the main teacher. And they have this kind of thing going on, except the priest, uh, not that he should be able to, but he can't uh, uh, perform sexual things with, with the woman that he loves, who loves him. So she decides she's going to have her needs met by yeah, just this guy who works there, who was raised in the orphanage. Um, the reason this is important is because the one. Even though this is a horror film, even though this is about a ghost who haunts the orphanage, even though this is about a venge very vengeful ghost, just like with the other film I'm going to talk about, the villain isn't the horror element. The villain isn't the ghost. There are bigger monsters in the world than ghosts and apparitions and stuff. It's just regular people. And that's the case with the devil's backbone. Um, basically, the young kid... Carlos, he, he finds out about the, the legend of the ghost. He sees the ghost. He's terrified by the ghost. The ghost is of a child who was, uh, hmm, well, he's dead. Let's just put it that way. And he died at the orphanage. And it's really well done. It's very, very creepy. Uh, pretty terrifying looking ghost. It's just a kid. But he ain't normal because he's a ghost. So, yeah, it's it's fun. This movie is very scary. doesn't really rely on jump scares, though, which I like, the fact that it doesn't rely on that. It just builds this sense of, of dread throughout the film. Uh, and at the meantime, you've got the, the subplot going on of just uh, what a <clears throat> rotten SOB <clears throat> the, the helper is and what, what he's scheming to do. So in one way, it's... It's a drama, and on the other hand, hand, it's this horror film, and they blend perfectly. And you're just trying to figure out what is going to happen, how far will the guy go to get what he wants, and what role is the ghost going to have in all of this? So I know that's all jumbled and convoluted, but it, it plays out much smoother in the film than it does in my head. So... <laughs> The Devil's Backbone, excellent horror film, excellent drama, excellent, not a war film, but it's kind of in the background of what can happen during a war. Second film, Pan's Labyrinth, which actually Del Toro, more, a lot more people know about this film. And Del Toro actually see these, sees these as, as bookend films, as, as a pair. And they definitely are, because Pan's Labyrinth happens still at the end of the Spanish Civil War, but it's still basically that same time frame. Also focuses on a, on a young person, in this case a girl, who also is, have, is taken away from her home 
and is in this case is taken to this camp by her stepfather who is a leader among the the fascist the fascists of spain lee lee will like this a lot i mean i know i like the movie but of just that this aspects because yeah so again we have monsters and there are lots of monsters in pan's labyrinth versus creepy looking monsters if that helps extremely creepy looking monsters uh doug jones who excels at playing creepy looking monsters yeah he, he he's in this a lot um there's, there's a monster that, that has no eyes except for the two that are in his hands who likes to devour people an extremely creepy monster and there's pan who is a fawn as in not the little baby deer kind of fawn. Look it up. Um, and there's a labyrinth that she has to solve. So she, the little girl escapes from the daily horrors of her life, which is not really good because again, her stepfather is this horrible, violent SOB military leader who is uh, trying to root out the last of the, of the rebel resistance to our friend, the, the uh, leader of Spain at that time, who, who uh, just check out some old Saturday Night Live episodes, and he'll still he'll still be around. Um, so she escapes she escapes her everyday life by going down into the labyrinth, but there are she's on this quest, and she's told that she's really this princess, and she just has to get back to this magical land, but it's extremely dangerous, and it turns out it's not even as dangerous as her everyday life. So. Again, Del Toro has this, these two worlds, one, this, this fantasy world, and the other, the real world. And the real world, unfortunately, is far more dangerous for these kids. Of the two, I like Pan's Labyrinth better. Uh, it, it's just a richer film. It's, it's a better film. But The Devil's Backbone is a really, really good movie. Highly recommend The Devil's Backbone. Just recommend Pan's even more and that's by far the better known film and they totally work as bookends of kids trying to survive wartime because that's really what they're what they're about and how everyday people can be the real monsters so highly recommend both of those films and billy of the bull is one hell of a director so absolutely you need you need to watch both of those and then for a lighter topic since it is October, I went with a film called Knuckleball. And if you look it up, you do need the exclamation mark at the end because there is a surprise thriller horror film called Knuckleball, which came out just a couple of years ago. This one came out in 2012. And it is a documentary about the knuckleball, the pitch, and the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and the men who throw it. Because there are no women. There have been, what, 12? Yeah, not a whole lot of knuckleball pitchers. And I say men because there are no women that throw knuckleballs that they mentioned in this film. Not saying there never have been, but... We don't know who they are. So that, Exactly. If so, you happen to throw one, contact the show, and we'll be happy to have you on. Yeah, and by the way, if you happen to throw a knuckleball, uh, regardless of your gender, please contact the show. Because right now, there are no knuckleball pitchers in the major leagues. None. That's Zero. True. Which is, which is a shame. Uh, which this movie actually talks a little bit about the, the rarity of it. Like you said, there haven't been a whole lot. This focuses on Tim Wakefield 
uh, who pitched mainly for the Red Sox, and <clears throat> excuse me, R.A. Dickey, who was mainly with the Mets. So this came out again, 2012. This is towards the tail end of Wakefield's career and focuses on, other than just the pitch in his life, the fact that he was chasing 200 wins. Now, 200 wins isn't exactly Hall of Fame level, which we may talk about in another show later, but it's a big milestone. And yes. he, uh, he had some difficulty reaching that, not the least because he wasn't a starter for a lot of the time at this point. Hard to record a win when you're the mop-up guy because that's what he'd been relegated to. Uh, the reason he'd been pushed to the bullpen, <clears throat> the knuckleball is not the most reliable pitch. And, and in fact, that is the whole point of the knuckleball. Uh, there's a clip of uh, Derek Jeter talking about how good Wakefield was in one particular game. And this is, man, I see, I don't think, said you couldn't tell where it was going i said i don't think he even knew and it's like that's the whole pit point no the yeah. pitcher doesn't know where it's going that's why it's so effective it's and that's why you got to have a good catcher too yes and they do interview a couple catchers the three catchers who worked for wakefield in one particular season and they were all just like man this is so hard <laughs> so <laughs> they showed one catcher who demonstrated the two gloves that he used one for charlie huff and the other one for human pitchers and the knuckleball <laughs> glove is, is literally about a third bigger just because you need more landscape to try to catch that thing. So yeah, basically catchers who catch knuckleball pitchers are going to lead the league in pass balls. Uh, Wild pitches. No, yep. No way around it. But the pitchers themselves are very interesting guys uh, because typically not always, but typically they are pitchers who came up throwing fastball, curveball, whatever, and just didn't have either they didn't quite have the stuff to make it to begin with or it abandoned them. So then they turned to the knuckleball. So in a sense, they're failures who then turned to this odd pitch to become successes. So they're all very driven guys. It's like, oh, surprise, they're major league pitchers. Of course they're driven. But not to the point where they're like, insane this is all that matters i mean they're 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 all humble because they've been humbled by the fact that they've had to go to this last resort pitch uh, very funny uh again they talk about tim wakefield ari dickey they also interview charlie huff you'd mentioned in prepo hi again ted and phil necro who is the king of the knuckleball pitchers yep. the only the only knuckleballer with 300 wins is like 300 wins throwing that pitch is pretty incredible. Um, there's lots of humor in this. And I, I will relate uh, a story that uh, Necro says, because it's one of the funnier stories, but it's not the only funny story. The four of them are, are sitting talking because they got them together just to talk about the pitch and their careers and stuff for the, for the film. And Necro is telling the story of when he was signed. And they mentioned that Necro actually was throwing the knuckleball. He came up throwing the knuckleball. He was the only one of, of all of them. That was his pitch. Right. And he's telling the story, and he lives in Pennsylvania, and his dad was a coal miner, and uh, they heard that they were having tryouts in, in West Virginia. So his dad took him down for the tryouts, and Phil's like 17 or something, I think, at the time, 16, 17. And so, the, so Phil went down, he pitched, everything seems good. Said they got a call the next day 
It's a scout. Scout wants to come talk to him. So scout comes, sits down in the living room with, with Phil and his mom and dad. And the scout says, well, you know, we, we think he can get a heck of a pitcher. How does $250 sound? <laughs> and Necro's, you know where this is going, because I'm sure you've heard the story. And Necro says, his dad says, well, that sounds, that sounds good, but I can't afford $250. I just work in a coal <laughs> so yeah his dad thought he was going to have to pay to have his son play baseball and of course the scout then explained no no it's 250 dollars. 250 dollars a month is what they signed him for and and this was an important part of the negotiation two dollars a day in meal money hey. so so of course <laughs> wakefield just looks at him and just cracks up is like wow <laughs> it's like wow at two dollars a day that's a <laughs> Unbelievable. So it's a very lighthearted film, but at the same time, it talks about the struggles like Wakefield. Uh, he had to try more than once to get that 200th win. Um, all of them, Wakefield and Dickey, they both got sent down at times uh, because the pitch abandoned them because it's just such an odd pitch. And no, you don't grab it with the knuckles, you grab it with the fingertips and just some odd things. You can crack a nail and that throws off your grip and their pitch, your what little control you have over the pitch is gone. And that's what makes it so such a bizarre pitch because, yes, you do have to control it, because, and that's why there's hardly any knuckleball pitchers. And at the same time, you, it's not controlled because it's thrown with absolutely no spin. Yeah, I, I was going to say, here, here, here's the thing. If you don't know about the knuckleball, if you throw any kind of a ball, it's going to spin. Like you, you, know, you throw a football and, ooh, tight spiral or loose spiral or it flips end over end. A knuckleball rotates maybe, what is it, like a, a good knuckleball rotates maybe half a turn between right. the pitcher's mound and home plate. It, it As opposed to a fastball, which gets up to like the RPM of a car. Right. You know. it's, they have some footage. They don't have a lot of footage of, of the knuckleball in flight, but they have some where there's literally zero spin. Yeah. There's a couple pitches where from the moment it left his fingertips to the time it hit the mitt, the ball only traveled in space, but did not spin at all. It's like, holy crap. <laughs> and if you don't think that's a hard thing to do, try yeah, it. Try it. Exactly. Like, it's and if you can do incredible. it, contact the show. <laughs> yeah. We'll contact. get you a deal for 250 bucks. And $2, and $2 a day in meal money. Tickets. So it, it's such a good, such a good movie. Uh, it really gets in depth in these in these guys' personality, um, and does have does have a few other clips with uh, Jim Bowden, who famous knuckleballer at the time as well. And he didn't again like most of these guys. He didn't start out throwing the knuckleball, but he wound up going to that to save his career. <clears throat> so highly recommend. And this is this is baseball time. Uh, the movie Knuckleball. Make sure you put that at the end. Which I have not seen it yet, but I think I know what I'm going to do this afternoon. Yeah, very good movie. So I saw it on uh, Curiosity Stream, which a streaming service which I highly recommend. Which you may be able to find deals for for twenty bucks for an, a year. We're so used to streaming services costing nine, ten whatever bucks a month, 20 bucks a year, full of awesome documentaries and all kinds of subjects, obviously, because Knuckleball is on there. So 
Anyway. Which is an obscure pitch, and I'm sure an obscure movie. So there we go. Indeed. But they weren't all obscure movies today. No. We had we had good stuff. We had weird stuff. But you know what? It's all stuff that I'm pretty sure you can get at home. Which is a good place to be if you have to go out, wear a mask. But you know what? It's probably best if you just stay home and watch a movie. Captain, we're losing power in the warp engines. I think we should be leaving now. I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. Uh, and on that unusually harmonious bombshell, it is time to end. I am very disappointed. Man, we have a weird job. It's shameful, but uh, eh, it's a living. And like that, he's gone. Dorn, that's the end.